Hey, little buddies, it's Uncle Rick from the Uncle Rick Audiobook Club. Two great audiobooks for kids every month for only $10. UncleRickAudios.com. Today, we'll read about General Israel Putnam. Got a couple of stories involving him from this wonderful old book, Stories About Famous Men and Women. Israel Putnam um, has been one of my heroes since I was a boy, uh, partly because he was involved in the Revolutionary War, which is one of my favorite periods of history, and also because of the story of the wolf's den. I won't tell you about that because we're just about to read it as a part of this story about General Israel Putnam and his famous exploits. Stepping into the summer house, Uncle Frank took his seat in his armchair put down his walking stick and said, I have something very interesting to tell you today. James is already there waiting for the story to begin, and very soon there were two additions to the company. These were Elsie and Mabel. The young folks were always interested in Uncle Frank's stories. There was much to be learned from them, while at the same time they afforded pleasant entertainment. Yeah, well, stories do that. Good stories. I'll tell you today, said Uncle Frank, about General Israel Putnam. They used to call him Old Putt, said Uncle Frank, but this was only a nickname and was not on account of any disrespect for him. He was born a good while ago in Danvers, Massachusetts. The date of his birth was January 7, 1718. This, you remember, was before the American Revolution in which our country gained its independence. Very few men made so many sacrifices or fought so gallantly in that great struggle, as did General Putnam. Before telling you about this, we must follow him to his new home near Pomfret in Connecticut, where he bought a farm and settled in 1739, when but 21 years of age. Of course, all that part of the country was new at this time, and the forests were frequented by wild beasts such as bears, wolves, and panthers. It also happened that there was an old she-wolf that gave great trouble to the settlers, and although this wolf had been seen at different times by a number of persons, Nobody had succeeded in capturing her. Young Putnam determined that he would try to put an end to the pranks of Mrs. Wolf, And so he gathered several young men, quite as bold and fearless as himself, and they started out to make the capture. You know, I've read about this wolf, this story over the years. She was raising havoc by killing the farmer's sheep, so she had to be gotten rid of. They found the cavern where the wolf made her home, but the opening at the entrance was so small that only one person could crawl in. Yeah, I've read about that too. The dogs didn't want to go in because a cornered wolf is very dangerous and hard to fight. It was a perilous undertaking for anyone to enter the cave, but young Putnam resolved to take the risk. He had ropes tied to his feet by which he was to be pulled out by his comrades when he gave the signal. Into the cavern he went with a lighted torch in one hand and his gun in the other. For a few minutes he saw nothing, for the wolf was in the farther end of the cavern. Not knowing but he would be pounced upon any moment, Israel held up his torch and peered into the darkness. Finally at the farther end of the cave he saw two bright eyes glaring at him. It was a question whether he would capture the wolf or the wolf would make an onslaught on him. Instantly he leveled his gun and being a good shot, laid the wolf sprawling on the floor of the cave. His companions, hearing the discharge of his gun, immediately pulled him out of the cave. 
The story of young Putnam's bold exploit was told far and near. And what they're not telling you here is that he got his clothes and his skin tore up a good bit because the boys on the outside pulled him out kind of quick and a cave is generally a rough place to get dragged through. Anyway, as might be expected, a young man whose personal courage was so great would not hesitate to join an army going forth for the defense of his country. In 1755, he obtained a commission as a captain in a regiment of a thousand men, which Connecticut sent to repel a threatened French invasion of New York, and he was present at the Battle of Lake George. His patriotic spirit animated his troops, who looked upon him as a brave and able commander, and were ready to follow wherever he should lead the way. Our country at this time was inhabited by savage tribes, and I should say, tribes of Indians, some of them were savage, some of them were not. Some of them were even Christians after the uh, the pilgrims and later settlers brought the gospel over here. But there were plenty of savage tribes, savage to each other, savage to the animals, and savage to the white settlers. So many were the wars and skirmishes they had with the white people. The French and Indian War, which broke out in 1754, was one of the thrilling periods of our country's history, and in this war young Putnam distinguished himself. He did this not merely at the Battle of Lake George, but elsewhere too. In 1758, he was captured by the savages, tortured, and then bound to a tree and was about to be burned to death. The Indians had him completely in their power, and had already decided his doom. It was useless to plead with them, They were bloodthirsty and meant to take his life. It looked as if Putnam were about to die by the most cruel death that can be inflicted upon a human being. He was tied to a tree, dry wood was piled around him and lighted. The flames were already beginning to scorch him when a French officer who had just arrived on the ground rushed forward and scattering the firebrands with his sword rescued the victim. That was a very narrow escape, wasn't it? said James. Yes, In a few minutes more, his life would have been burned out of him. But this humane French officer was not willing to see even an enemy burned at the stake and boldly saved Putnam's life. In 1759, he was given command of a regiment, and in 1764, he helped to relieve Detroit, then besieged by Pontiac, the Indian chief. After this, Putnam led a quiet life at home for ten years, during which time he made his farmhouse into an inn and became very prominent among a society called the Sons of Liberty, the object of which was to further the cause of American independence. In 1775, after the Battle of Concord, he was given the command of the forces of Connecticut. He was at work in the field when he heard that he was wanted to resist the British invasion. He left his plow standing in the field and hurried to join the army. At the Battle of Bunker Hill, which was one of the first battles of the Revolution, and was fought just across the bay from Boston, he was the highest officer in command, although he offered that position to General Warren. He was next appointed by Congress a major general, and held command of the troops at New York, and in August 1776 at Brooklyn Heights, where he was defeated by the British General Howe. This did not discourage him, but he went right on as if nothing had happened, feeling sure that success would come later. Afterwards, he held various commands, and in 1777 was appointed to the defense of the highlands of the Hudson, while at Peekskill, a lieutenant in a British regiment was captured as a spy and condemned to death. 
Sir Henry Clinton, a British commanding officer, sent a flag of truce to Putnam, threatening vengeance if the sentence was carried out. Putnam wrote a brief reply that Sir Henry could understand without much trouble. I have it here, and I'll read it. And I should explain here, little buddies. Spies in those days, when they were caught, were executed by hanging. It was considered a very shameful death. Um, a soldier who committed some other great crime might be executed by a firing squad. But spies were always hung. That was just the customary way that they were punished for being spies. Anyway, here's the reply that uh, old Putt sent to Sir Henry Clinton. Headquarters, 7th August, 1777. Edmund Palmer, an officer in the enemy service, was taken as a spy lurking within our lines. He has been tried as a spy, condemned as a spy, and shall be executed as a spy. And the flag is ordered to depart immediately. Israel Putnam. P.S. He has accordingly been executed. In 1776, I'm sorry, 1778, Part of the prince bad in this old, old book and it was hard to read. Putnam made his famous escape from Governor Tryon's dragoons in western Connecticut by riding down the stone steps of Horseneck. You may have seen the picture of him riding down this steep place. Here was fortunate as usual and escaped with his life. He died May 19, 1790, having served his country nobly. And on the very next page of this wonderful old book, Here's a story about a boy who met General Putnam, and it's called How Sammy Helped General Putnam. I'm going to tell you about a boy, said Uncle Frank, as he noticed the young folks seated to hear his next story. Boys, you know, can do wonders sometimes, as well as men and women. That's right, said James. I like to hear about boys. So do I, said Mabel, if they're not hateful boys, but are polite and gentlemanly. I see no reason, said Uncle Frank, why boys and girls should not treat one another politely and be on good terms. But I must tell you the story. Sammy Bell Knapp was a strong young boy of nine when the soldiers of the Revolutionary Army came to the township of Reading, Connecticut for the winter of 1778. Old Putt, as everyone called the great fighter, General Israel Putnam, had been keeping the tavern over in Brooklyn before the war broke out, but when he came to the Nutmeg State as a hardy pioneer, he had settled at Pomfret, and his farm had adjoined that of Sammy's grandfather, who had come from Danvers, Massachusetts, with him. The famous general was very fond of boys, boys who are brave and full of life. He had not forgotten that he was once one himself. And we have seen how brave he was when a young man. Sammy was just the kind of boy that old General Putt would like. He was full of life and, alas, full of mischief. So when the general was riding through the little village of Reading one afternoon, soon after the three camps of the Continental soldiers had been established, he saw Sammy and inquired if there was not a son of Uriah Belknap living in the village. The general was taking the first few moments of his leisure in looking up his old friends. Sammy never forgot the expression of his great rosy face and smiling eyes when he answered, Why, yes, sir, he was my grandfather, and Samuel Belknap, who lives over yonder, is my father. He was almost breathless, for he knew the man on horseback, and he had heard a great deal about his bravery in the midst of these trying days. 
But he was reassured at once, for the great big general came down from his horse and, sitting on the curb, took him in his arms and began to tell him about his grandfather. "'I might have known you were Uri Belknap's son if I had looked twice,' he said. "'For you are for all the world just like him, and I'll wager he was just like you at your age. Those are your grandfather's eyes, and I can see his nose and his mouth in you.' And do you know, my son, I could sit here all the afternoon and tell you about your grandfather. He settled on the farm next to mine over yonder in Pumfret, what I would not give for one hour of those old days. And did he ever tell you about the wolf we hunted for so long? Sammy's eyes lighted up with pleasure at this. He had hardly known how to receive the attention of his distinguished visitor, for he had heard much to make him fear him. But he was entirely won over now. He had heard of that famous wolf hunt many times from his grandfather, who had died in the revolutionary cause when he had gone with General Putnam to Bunker Hill, and had spilled his blood in that encounter with the British. But you must take me to your father, for I want to tell him how well your grandfather fought that day in Charlestown. General Washington has let me take my army near my old home for the winter, and it will be the first time since the day of that battle I have had to tell Uriah Bill Knapp's son— how his father fell in the foremost ranks, as fearless and brave as man should be in those days. For these are trying times, my son. Come, lead my horse up to your home. The general sprang into the saddle, and Sammy proudly led his guest to the house. When he had grown to manhood, he was always delighted to tell of that episode in his life, and to another to which we will soon allude. General Israel Putnam had three companies in the township of Reading that winter, and he was soon to take up his own quarters on Umpawag Hill. Historians are sometimes wont to attribute to him acts which seem brutal in these days, but we should remember the times in which he lived and the dangers of war which tried him and other men most sorely. The traditions which are alive today in his old home at Brooklyn and in the surrounding towns Give us a picture of a kindly, gruff, hearty old man who loved his friends and his friends' children. And after the war, the most popular landlord in the Nutmeg State. And this is the man Sammy Belknap saw for the first time when he was nine years old. The man he learned to admire, as all small, genuine boys admire heroes, for whom they would sacrifice their lives if need be. The Continental Army in General Putnam's charge contained many discontented and discouraged men that winter. They were poorly clothed and poorly fed, and the Connecticut legislature had not paid them their wages for many months. If you should chance to go to Reading today, you will see the places where these revolutionary camps stood. The sites of the log cabins are clearly defined by heaps of stones, which are the remains of the chimneys built on the outside. Their preservation has been due in a great degree to a forest which grew over the spot where so many dramatic scenes took place more than a century ago. Yeah, and now it's um, closer to three centuries ago. The forest has now been cleared, and the state of Connecticut has preserved the place in a park named for General Putnam. Our little hero of revolutionary days became greatly interested in the camps, and the general became so fond of him that he at times would raise him in his saddle and make the round of the soldiers' quarters. I'm going to make you a good soldier like your grandfather, he used to say, and I want you to learn all about my army so that you may be a general too one day. We little know when this war may end, my boy, in these days of shadow, and if our time does not see the victory of liberty, we will train all little boys so that when they are men, 
they will be able to whip the British. Sammy's love for the general grew daily. He heard of the men who deserted to the camp of the British, and his little face burned with indignation to see the men who once fought for independence turning in their selfishness to what they thought would be the winning side. Often he would climb the rocky cliff, which rises today as it did then, high above the camp, and watch the soldiers off parade, walking about the barracks and grounds, standing in groups in their tattered and mud-stained uniforms. How his little heart burned in eagerness to do something for the cause of freedom. He little dreamed that fate had destined him to be of great service to the good old general. When spring came and the fresh green was everywhere and the birds began singing, there were not of the few uh, there were not a few of the men who longed to be away from the scenes of war and dreaded to face the hard fighting before them. Well, yeah, a lot of them needed to go home and plant crops, too, in the spring so their families wouldn't starve. It was a frequent practice of these men to go to the camp of the enemy where they were cordially received and given good food and certain other things which they ought not to have had from the enemy. As the camps of General Putnam were soon to be broken, the deserter was especially welcome, as he might furnish valuable information as to the future movements of the army. Old Putt was particularly tried by these deserters and kept a sharp outlook for them. When captured, they generally found their fate sealed by a brief court-martial, whose verdict was either that they be shot or hanged. Sammy listened one evening to the account of a man who had sneaked away from camp a few days before and was believed to be skulking about the place. The general further suspected that he was in communication with the Tories and feared that the movement he had planned for the next week would in this manner become known to the enemy. Sammy listened with wide open eyes, and that night he lay awake a long time thinking. His visits to the camp had been useful to him, for he knew many soldiers by name, and there were more whose faces he recalled. Now he was quite sure that he had seen the man in question the day before, while he was gathering the spring flowers in a thicket of pines about two hundred rods from the cliff below which was the camp. He had seen engaged in earnest conversation with another person, whose face Sammy had not seen. In a few minutes after Sammy appeared, the pair separated, but neither returned to the camp. Sammy thought this all over carefully, and went over it again and again making certain plans which he intended to put into operation very soon. It happened that there was a cave near the top of the cliff, which extended into the interior for several feet. There are a great many dry leaves on the bottom, and Sammy often went there during hot afternoons and sat and dreamed of being a soldier. The cave itself had a history and was named after King Philip, because there is a tradition that the Indian King Philip had used it as a hiding place when closely pursued. If you should go there today, you'll find it just as has been described. The next day, when the army was on the parade ground drilling, under the severe gaze of General Putnam, Sammy denied himself one of the greatest pleasures of his life and hid himself in the cave. Here he could dimly hear the sound of tramping feet, but he was within hearing of other sounds which finally came to his expectant ears. He heard what appeared to be two men engaged in earnest conversation. Sammy listened closely until at last he could distinguish their words. He listened fully for ten minutes, and then, as quietly as a field mouse, he left his perch in the cave on the cliff and slowly descended. All the time he could hear the voices of the men, but as he was below the top of the cliff, he of course could not be seen. 
When he reached the bottom, he crawled carefully along beneath the underbrush. How his heart beat, and how much he longed to run! But he was too wise to do so, for fear he would attract the notice of the men. So he moved slowly until he was hidden by a thick growth of pines. Then he rose to his feet and ran with all the speed his little legs were equal to. All this had taken ten minutes of precious time, although it takes hardly one to tell it, and Sammy was afraid it'd be too late. He ran up to the general as fast as he could, stopped a moment, and raised his arm in salute, just like a real soldier, then clambered up into the saddle, and with his hands drew down the general's head and whispered in his ear. The general quickly wheeled his horse and rode toward an officer. To Sammy's great delight, a small squad of soldiers soon moved in the direction of the cliff. How long the minutes seemed after that. Every one was an hour to Sammy, and there were thirty of them before anything happened. Then the report of a musket sounded in the distance, followed by two more. All was silence for a while, and the general sat eagerly watching the cliff with Sammy in the saddle. When the men appeared once again, two of them bore a wounded man between them, while the others led a prisoner. Then the soldiers cheered and jeered. The two men had been surprised, for their pursuers had gone so silently that they were not hurt until they had almost come upon them. Then one started to run and had been shot twice in the leg. The latter was a British spy and the other a deserter. The old general was greatly delighted. He raised Sammy to his feet on the saddle, and the soldiers raised their arms in salute, then cheered the little hero. It was the proudest moment of Sammy's life. That evening, as he sat with the general and his father around the great fireplace, old Putt took him on his knee and said, Your grandfather is proud of you tonight, my son, and hereafter I shall call you one of my soldiers. Well, that's a neat story, isn't it? I don't know if the story about Sammy is true or not. Maybe, may not. But certainly what we read about General Putnam, old Putt, as he was affectionately called, is definitely true. He went through some very, very, very difficult experiences, especially in the war of, of the French and Indians. He very nearly lost his life a number of times. But that's what heroes are made of. People are willing to risk their lives in a cause greater than their own life. So with that, I must sign off, little buddies. Thanks so much for listening. I just love to read to you. I love to know that you're listening. I love to get the letters and drawings and things that you send me from time to time. And it's just great to know that my books and my stories are a blessing and encouragement to you. I hope we will all be inspired by the stories of great people so that we can be challenged to do great things for God ourselves. So, it is time for me to sign off, but I look forward to reading to you again next week. Hope you make it back to listen to these great stories of great people. Meantime, let me remind you, always put God first in your life. Be a patriotic American and honor your father and your mother. So long. God bless. Parents, if your kids enjoyed their visit with Uncle Rick, Know that they will love the Uncle Rick Audiobook Club. The Uncle Rick Audiobook Club allows access to dozens more stories, both from history and the Bible, to help your kids learn about godly character. Here's what one parent had to say about the book club. My children love the stories. They make history so interesting. 
My son says it is because of the details that most textbooks don't include. Uncle Rick is easy to listen to. We love his accents and explanations. Thank you so much for that testimony. If you'd like to learn more about the Uncle Rick Book Club, please join us over at UncleRickAudios.com. That is UncleRickAudios.com. See you there.